Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Peter. Joining me tonight is Mike. How's it going, Mike? Uh, I am live. You are live, yeah. Welcome back from yeah. the uh, the podcast Wilderness. Yeah. Well, I don't know about Wilderness, but the, the hell of the real world, at least. <laughs> um, also with us tonight is JJ. What's up, JJ? Oh, I'd like to say it's the greatest night ever, but uh, this always happens when we record after a game. It's a uh, less than less than ideal night, but I'm I'm otherwise good. <laughs> awesome. Um, so since the last episode that we uh, we recorded, a lot has happened. Let's uh, let's do a quick recap. So Detroit lost five in a row. They lost to Toronto. They lost to Washington, Vancouver, Buffalo, and Tampa. And then after that, they beat Florida and Arizona uh, in a row. And then they lost to Ottawa. Um, prior to tonight, Detroit won its last two games. Uh, on the Western Canadian road trip, uh, they beat Edmonton 4-0, just like everyone expected. They beat Vancouver uh, 3-2 on a late goal. And actually, since uh, this is a little old because uh, we weren't able to record last time, they lost to Calgary. And we are recording um, about a half hour, 45 minutes after they lost a shootout to the Columbus Blue Jackets. So um, let me throw to you, JJ. So... What have you been feeling about the Red Wings play of late? Uh, I'm pretty, uh, pretty even keeled, honestly. Like I haven't really been mad at them with the way things have going. Like the Calgary game just kind of felt like uh, it's that felt like a shit happens game. Uh, the Columbus game was uh, Bob Rovsky just he he's I feel he stole that game from us, and I like I don't know like I. I they haven't been playing great, but I don't go into games expecting them to play great. So uh, I'm yeah. still, I guess, riding the high off of what I saw out of them in uh, Vancouver and and, and Edmonton, because um, those were were fun, promising games that I saw. So uh, you know, the, the losses as they pile up, I'm, I'm not going to let those affect me quite as much as they have in years past. So I'm I'm good. Yeah, I mean, and also if you look at if you look at the teams that they lost to, you know, if you throw out the Vancouver debacle, uh, the first time they played Vancouver it was pretty bad, um, and then they lost to Buffalo, which was very disappointing. You know, you you, you know you're losing to Toronto, you're losing to Washington, uh, Tampa, which obviously you know we as Red Wings fans have a. Uh, uh, I don't know if I'd call it an irrational hatred for Tampa, you know, but I mean, you know, they knocked us out of the playoffs two years in a row. Um, but I mean, for me, when we're not playing them, it's, it's pretty fun to watch that top line, that top power play when they're victimizing other teams, you know, but I mean, you know, going up against that team uh, with Kucherov, Stamkos and um, uh, Nemestikov on their top line and their power play, you know, adding Hedman in, et cetera. I mean, they're, you know, they're, 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 they're doing really well. They have one of the highest goal differentials in the league, if not the highest. Um, so it wasn't too surprising, you know, that we lost a lot of those games. I think the, uh, the Edmonton game was at least for me by far the most surprising because, 
Yeah, that was one of the games I did the recap for, and I remember thinking, like, this is going to be terrible. This is going to be a train wreck. Um, And I think Larkin's line did a really nice job of shutting down McDavid. And, you know, we were able to to limit their top line. We were able to keep them from uh, from their dangerous scoring chances. You know, I remember last year when we played Edmonton, uh, you know, even though they didn't score all the time, it was just almost seemingly nonstop scary chances against. And I think we did a really good job of limiting that. Um, so, Mike, I, I know you haven't, you know, with, with life and everything, I know you really haven't been able to to watch too much lately. But, you know, like what's been your take on the last couple of weeks of the Red Wings from, you know, from what you've been able to see? Um, I've been happy that they're not worse than I expected. Uh, which. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's not setting the bar very high, unfortunately. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, going into the season, I know we all looked around and saw a, a bunch of the, you know, big time prognosticators saying, you know, Wings first overall draft pick, not by trade. You know, people predicting that we were going to be the absolute worst team in the league, um, and a bunch of us were kind of going, well, that doesn't sound right. And so far through the season, they're proving us right, and I, I think they've, you know, beaten a couple of teams that they shouldn't have beat and lost to some teams that they shouldn't have lost to, but we're still looking at a, you know, bottom third of the league team unless something pulls itself together and they can turn into the uh, uh, middle of the pack bubble team, maybe. So, yeah, I sure. I mean, I... terribly. So. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a pretty good, pretty good way to look at it. I think that's you know, Detroit has looked pretty good in some cases. They've looked pretty bad in some cases, but they haven't been really great or really bad for long stretches of time. And so I think at the end of the day, they're, they're pretty much kind of around what we, what we thought they'd be. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I think I would agree with that. Um, so, you know, it, it's kind of hard after after being off for a little bit to you know to break down. I don't know what ten, twelve games I think by now. Um, so we're just going to talk about a little. We're going to talk about a couple like specific things that we've seen. So since the last time we recorded, just like every single person predicted in that podcast, Andreas Athanasiu has signed with the Red Wings. Uh, he is not going to KHL. He is not going to play in the Olympics. He came back to the Red Wings. And he signed uh, what seems to be a reasonable deal uh, for one year. I know, you know, from what we talked about before, that we wish he could have signed for two years because we have Anthony Mantha and Dylan Larkin coming up next year, uh, among others. We got Mrazek if he's going to stay around. But at the same time, it's uh, it, it's a good feeling to have him back. And I know for my part, I was a little more than a little upset at him for his role in this whole kerfuffle, but. Watching him play has uh, kind of brought back some of the fun for me, at least. So, JJ, um, how do you feel about Andreas Athanasiu coming back, and what do you think he's brought back to the team since he's been back? Uh, I feel that I'm, I'm really happy that he's back, and like it didn't take because I, I was pretty uh, not super outspoken about how essentially. I kind of had, I'd lost his, uh, I'd lost patience with him. Like I wanted him to just sign, get the damn thing over with and, and let's get going. Um, 
which is kind of rare for me to, to not side with the player. But yeah. uh, the all of that kind of melted away really, really quickly with him uh, when he came back. He hasn't been like – honestly, you know, I expected him to, to be kind of off, off to a slow start because he missed training camp and he, he'd been – practicing with a Swiss team, but you know, that's, it's just not the same. It's not the same till you get into to game battles and it, and it looks like he's still adjusting. Now this is like after the, the eight games that he's played, he's got uh, two goals and, and one assist. Um, if this is still adjusting, then I'm, I'm really happy about, uh, about what I expect him to be bringing later on in the season. Um, he's got the element of, of, Obviously, he's fast as all get out. Um, but what I really like is his aggression going into the neutral zone. Now, he's got kind of a, 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 a Tomas Tatar propensity towards over stick handling at times. Um, but honestly, all things considered, is I think that he's got a, a piece that the Red Wings don't have enough of, and that is aggressive play towards the middle of the ice, uh, a shoot first mentality, a little bit, um, you know, I, I see a lot of his plays where maybe he's a little bit selfish is the wrong word for it because it's, it's not that, uh, cause I, I like what he's doing. Like there's a lot of times where, Oh, you know, he could try to be a little fancier and pass there, but instead he's, he's trying to do one, one little extra move or he's just shooting it to, to get it towards the net. And, Basically, with all the with all the pass first guys we've got on the team, yeah, I really like I really like that attitude. So, um, I'm I'm happy and, and excited that that he's back in and that he's actually getting the the kind of ice time chances that has been talked about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like we were talking before we started recording, uh, I pulled up on natural stat trick. I pulled up all situations time on ice. And if you're talking forwards, he was the third leading forward. He had 20 minutes and 31 seconds of uh, all situations time. The only people ahead of him were Zetterberg and Larkin, and not by not by a tremendous amount. So I know for me, uh, you know, sometimes seeing like like today they or you know uh, last time or before the last game and then this game, you know, you see some of these line combinations and they have him down listed on the fourth line. And obviously that wasn't the case, um, you know, but every time I see that, I get a little nervous because, you know, like you said, he brings something to the team that everybody, you know, that almost nobody else on the team does. I mean, Larkin has, you know, obviously that same game breaking speed, but he's a different type of player. And having Athanasiu join the team, I think gave them a really big shot in the arm. And I know for me, one thing I really liked is I forget obviously which game it was at this point, but it was, it was his first game back. And I remember seeing him go into the nets because he was back checking so hard. You know, he, 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 he's all the way at the other end of the ice lost, you know, the, uh, the Red Wings lost the puck and he was back checking so hard that he lost an edge and went into the, the net, you know? So it seems like he's definitely taking, you know, this idea of playing a complete game seriously, but he's still able to have that game-breaking ability. And I think that's something that the Red Wings really missed. Um, so, Mike, like, Mike, Mike, how are you feeling about having uh, Athanasio back? I'm so glad to have his feedback on the ice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, mean, I, know, I, know, I know you guys both kind of mentioned it, but I'm, I'm not sure that we can drive home how important that is in the current NHL. 
I mean, with with the shift towards younger players of extreme skill, um, with the past couple of drafts, guys like you know Line A, even though I know he's not um, performing the best, but that might have something to do with teammates and um, Drysital, uh, McDavid, Matthews, Marner, all all those guys who are both fast and can handle at speed. Um, Athanasiu, while he's he's not in the same conversation as those guys. He can still do the same things as those guys. He can light a fire on the ice essentially with his skates because he goes so fast and he can handle at speed and still pull off shots and passes and stick handling everything he needs to. So I'm excited to get that back in the lineup um, and really just excited to have him back on NHL ice. Cause like you guys were saying, even though he's practicing with a Swedish team, while uh, while he was having the whole little contract tantrum, um, it, it wasn't the best thing for him or his development. And to see him come back, and then to come back on that really severe show-me contract that was below even what the Wings had put on the table, um, I, I think that speaks to how much he's willing to bet on himself this season and might even speak to how hard we can expect him to work at being the player that the wings want him to be. Yeah. And I think, um, I know last year, you know, last year there's a little bit of concern in his, some of his numbers, like his, his shooting percentage, you know, people are saying, Oh, there's no way he could sustain that, you know, and right now he's at a 6.25, 5v5 shooting percentage. So he's not, you know, lighting the world on fire, uh, shooting wise, but he's still contributing. He's still scoring. Um, somehow uh, Bobrovsky was able to make a save tonight uh, through, I think, sheer force of will uh, on the, 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 the two on O with Athanasiu and Mantha. And, you know, I mean, like, like he definitely showed good, um, you know, good hockey sense there because he comes down and rather than just go straight to the net, he, holds up a little bit to let Mantha come up and he does the give and go with him. You know, it was a, it was a beautiful setup by both of them. And it was it, like, both of them did exactly, exactly what you want them to do. But Brosky just somehow made an unbelievable save. But um, yeah. I don't know. Like, like it definitely seems like most of the time that something interesting or fun is happening. Athanasiu is probably on the ice, you know, him or Mantha or both of them. Uh, the last, you know, 10 games or so seem to be right around there. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, from the development standpoint, what I liked about that play that set uh, uh, in regards to two-on-one was actually before that because that was – it was a result of Mantha was dogging his man behind the uh, behind the play all the way back into the Red Wing zone, and Athanasiu was tracking on his, his own coverage, and then – the puck crossed into the Red Wings' blue line with Mantha still tying his guy up, and Athanasiu recognized and aggressively came in and jumped on the puck, separated it out, and started that two-on-a rush. So it was that. That's the thing is that he's going to make mistakes in being aggressive at times, as everybody will. I mean, you're you're not nobody's perfect out there. Um, sure, but it's a kind of a once you have made the decision to go, you go full speed. You don't kind of go halfway uh, because that's where you really get yourself into trouble. And Athens, CU, and, and Mantha both 
do not have that problem. And I, I don't mind if they're going to make mistakes by, by jumping up and, and getting burnt by a really good play. Um, because what drives me the most nuts is, is watching a guy kind of waiting around and, and seeing something happen. So that's, that's what I really liked. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think, uh, after see you more so than most players I've seen in quite a while, you know, he has this ability to make something happen out of seemingly nothing. And like you were saying, I mean, it's, it's a byproduct of being aggressive and seeing the opportunities that some players don't see and then having both the ability to get the puck and then the speed to break away. And, you know, I, th- I think Athanasiu brings so much to the table that we've been missing. And so, you know, it's definitely nice having him back. And hopefully, you know, next off season, you know, we were able to, to get all three of them signed reasonably. Um, I mean, some quotes from Athanasiu since he came back make it sound like arbitration might be in the books, but, um, or in the cards, I guess. But um, I guess we'll have to see. So it's been a little yeah. bit different because we're on the uh, we, we've been on the road for so long and on the road you have la- you don't have last change which can you know be tough for uh, a coach to keep lines together and have line matchups but one thing that has been uh the bane of many commenters existence has been the uh Jeff Blashell patented line blender and since we last recorded, we had a, a really interesting series of events in which Blashill was quoted as basically saying, "I'm going to put away, you know, I'm going I'm to. These are the lines for for the next, you know, while the foreseeable future or something." And I don't even think we got to the end of the first period, maybe the end of the second period, before the lines were all mixed up again. Um, so, I guess Mike, like, so so let me let me ask you this. Just in terms of like philosophically speaking, like from a from a, a hockey philosophical standpoint, how much value do you think there is in having lines stay together? Do you think it's as big of a deal as uh, as some people have been making out of it? Um, as somebody who's played purely at the recreational level, <laughs> so I'm gonna everybody can know it's in that context. I don't have any serious experience with it but from recreational play I always felt more comfortable when I had consistent line mates um, I, I I feel like knowing where a specific person is going to be and their tendencies really helps me with my game when I'm on the ice now that being said when you're at the NHL level I understand the concept of you guys should all be on the same page as a team, not just as a line. And I think there's something for that, given that this is all these guys do. They're supposed to be professionals. But by the same token, I I can't take my own experience out of that with, you know, I've got 12 forwards on a team that I'm trying to gel with all of them, or maybe I just have to gel with, you know, two of them. Um, and it's a whole lot easier to gel with two people and find two people that work with you on a line than to try and make everything work with the whole team, regardless of who's on the ice. Cause obviously people have different um, 
offensive and defensive capabilities in their own games and, and things that they have to work on. Um, so, I mean, again, I, I get the concept that it shouldn't be that big of a deal. You guys are professionals. You should know how to play with everybody on your team. But I just don't think that's how it works. So in terms of the line blunder itself, I really wish Blashill would have stuck to his promise to get rid of it. But they're going to do what they're going to do. He's under a mandate to to play games the way that he feels is going to win the game on any given night. You know, his his job is not to worry about tanking or anything like that. It's, his job is to come away with a W every night the team takes the ice. And if he feels that he's got to break out the line blender to do it, well, bless him for doing that. But I don't think it's going to be helpful in the long run. Yeah, and maybe so, got um, a little wordy and, and windy there, but, you know. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. Um, so, so JJ, how do you feel about uh, Blashill's job with with lines of late? Um, honestly, I don't I like because when it first broke out that like it was almost two full periods before he, he reopened the line blender after saying that he was not going to do that, and then he did get asked about it in the post game. He was like, "Well, no, because I." I meant to, to start the game, you know, making in-game adjustments is a different story. And it's okay, I can believe that. And then we got Edmonton, and and then the lines got changed uh, drastically <laughs> there. Um, but honestly, that was a really good performance. And looking objectively at the reasoning for it, uh, because Edmonton has turned themselves into a, a, a one-dimensional team uh, by by their own design, Um but that where that one dimension is absolutely crazy, insanely hard to deal with. Um, I don't mind Blashill putting together lines so as to better limit uh, limit the danger there, and then kind of sticking with it through the the momentum of having Vancouver the next night. Um, I do agree with Mike in terms of I think that that building a little bit more. Um, opportunity to get used to your line mates, especially with uh, the kid line, like uh, Mantha Lark and Athanasiu would be more important. Um, but like I said, you know, again, it's like Connor McDavid giving Larkin more defensively responsible line mates to, to kind of help out and saying Larkin McDavid is going to be your responsibility. I thought that was, that was huge. And I thought that, that Larkin lived up to it. Um, because, like I said, I, I like Mantha and Athanasiu, but they are going to make mistakes that are that are going to lead to things, and so kind of let them ease into it. As long as like you're staying generally consistent, um, it's not as bad. But yeah, I, I think I'm I'm forfeiting the the battle in regards to getting angry about Jeff Blashill um, not living up to uh, to keeping the lines together better. And instead, I'm kind of focusing on as long as, like, the right guys are getting ice time, like, you've got Athanasiu and Manta and Larkin uh, consistently among time on ice leaders, then I'm I'm pretty okay with, with it from a coaching standpoint. Like, I thought in the this Columbus game that, that Martin Furk was the unfortunate victim of the refs not giving the Red Wings a single power play. 
and it yeah. turned out that only Scott only Scott Wilson played fewer minutes than he did. Um, but all in all, like I I think Martin Furk is kind of the the power play specialist that doesn't have a, a good fit five on five. So give it give those give that time to to the kids. Uh, obviously, Zetterberg's going to get his time. Uh, make make that make sense, and and I, I think I'll be okay, even though it will still be just living with something I don't think is ideal. Because yeah, I I think that keeping Manta Larkin and Athanasiu together all the time, uh, through good and through bad, will act will end up teaching them a little bit more about how to deal in different situations with with things. But it is kind of a that's kind of a if, throw it where it lies and let the chips fall where it may, where that I'm okay, I'm okay with it because I'm in a position where uh, I don't necessarily mind the Red Wings losing more games as long as the the process is coming along. Uh, Jeff Blashell can't afford that. so Exactly, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the only thing I was I was really – wanting to say during this uh this question was pretty much what you said at the end is like both from a a fan standpoint who wants to see what's best for the future and also from a fan standpoint who wants to see entertaining hockey i i really want to see whatever whatever it takes to keep that that uh larkin athanasiu and mantha line together because it's just a heck of a lot of fun but um I don't know. I mean, I, I I definitely have been one to complain about the the blender, and I mean, I I think for me, I complain the most when it just gets ridiculous. You know, like during a game, if somebody's hurt, or like if they're trying to do different matchups or something, you know, something like that. You know, for me, that's not as big of a deal. Like, what really kind of annoys me is when it just seems like that he's doing it just to do it. And 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 granted, that could just be my perspective as a fan, but I know for me, that's when it gets irritating is, you know, just not being able to track from shift to shift, who's going to play together, um, you know, without a, a seeming, seeming, uh, seemingly a reason behind it. Um, but, um, okay. So, so yeah, so we, you know, we talked a lot about, uh, the Red Wings so far. Um, the, in the last couple of days, we've had some, some interesting stuff around the league. we, Finally had um, finally had a big trade. We haven't had a big trade in a while, um, and it wasn't just a big trade. It was a three team trade, and it wasn't just a three team trade. Matt Duchesne was finally traded from the Colorado Avalanche after what seems like about ten years, and so so that's gone. So just if if you haven't been paying attention, I'll give you a really quick rundown. Uh, like I said, it was a three team trade. Basically, Duchesne ends up in Ottawa. Uh, Kyle Turris ends up going from Ottawa to Nashville, and then Colorado gets a a plethora of players and picks. They get uh, a first, a second, and a third. I think the first and the third is from Ottawa, and the second is from Nashville, if I remember correctly. Um, They also get, uh, from Nashville, they get uh, potentially, you know, really good defenseman uh, Gerard. They got uh, Shane Bowers, who I think was was a former number one pick, I believe last year uh, from Ottawa and uh, the Hamburglar, which, which is of course the, uh, you know, the biggest piece of the trade. So basically Duchesne to, Duchesne to Ottawa, tourists to Nashville, and then Colorado gets a bunch of picks and prospects. 
So, JJ, for this trade, we got three teams. Do you think one of the teams came out ahead? Do you think they could all potentially winners uh, be winners or, or, or somewhere in between? What do you got? Uh, well, the old rule is that the team that gets the best player wins the trade. And mm-hmm. so I guess by that rule, I have to say Ottawa wins. Um, but I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't think that Matt Duchesne is that much better than Kyle Turris to justify what they spent to essentially make that decision. So, sure, I, like, I know that yeah. they got they got a guy that that didn't want to. Uh, Turris didn't want to resign there because of Melnick and the the cheapness of the organization. So they essentially got another year of of knowing how much they're going to have to spend, which is always, it, I feel bad for Ottawa fans because that's the way their organization is run. But like they spent a lot to get that minor upgrade. Um, I think that Nashville getting tourists is, is probably the best short term solution because Nashville is already a better team than Ottawa. And having lost James Neal, they get, Kyle Turris back who isn't a he's not James Neal he's he's a better two-way player but he's not nearly the scorer um but Colorado this ought to help with their uh, basically the the re-rebuild that they have to go through because uh, they did get a lot of value in those in those draft picks they got now the Ottawa first is uh lottery protected this year if, if Ottawa ends up in the lottery they'll get to defer the pick to next year instead. Um, and honestly, there's a decent chance of that happening. Like, I don't know that much about the players that, that Colorado got. I, I think in terms of that, you might as well just throw that away because even if you don't, ending up with a first, second, and a third-round pick is uh, is really good is a really good haul. Um, obviously, it wouldn't have been enough just for Matt Duchesne, which is why they got those players who aren't exactly scrubs anyway. So... Um, I think Colorado did did pretty well for themselves, making the best out of a situation that they themselves made bad. Um, it makes Sackick look like a bit of a genius in terms of not. I like. I I don't know what all the other offers were because it took forever to trade Duchesne, and it got frankly embarrassing for everybody involved how long it took. And the fact that they pulled him out of a game in the middle of of a game is is another kind of one of those. Just, it doesn't happen very often, and it doesn't look very good anyway. Um, but when you look at the return it ended up going, the the patience game for Sackick, uh, it paid off. Yeah, and plus, I mean, the the original r- rumor, like it, like it seems like this trade was uh, was pretty close to being ready to go a few days before it happened, and then then it was reported as dead. the The original rumor was that uh, Nashville was going to trade Eckholm. And, you know, so being able to keep a guy who is a top four defenseman and trading away somebody who could be a top four defenseman, I think ended up being really good for Nashville. Um, And also, I mean, we saw last year in the Stanley Cup finals, you know, they had, uh, you know, Johansson out and that was a a huge blow to them, you know, so to be able to add to their center depth, um, you know, so, you know, to take Kyle Turris, who is probably a top line center in the NHL. He's, he's not the top tier. He's not going to be like, you know, the top half of the league, uh, top line center, I guess you could say, but you know, he's, he's definitely up there 
if you look at his production. And so to add him to a team that already has a top line center, you know, to, to be able to slot him in, in a number two, I think is going to be um, really good for Nashville, of course, assuming that they can stay healthy. And, um, you know, they didn't have to give up any of their, their current blue line. And, you know, like we said before, they traded away some players that, that could develop into the type of players you want. Um, but they ended up getting a player who, who is the type of player you want. So we'll see. I mean, I think this could end up, this could end up being the rare triple win uh, trade, but we'll have to wait years and years down the road to see what Colorado ends up doing uh, with these draft picks and to see how these prospects prospects develop. Um, but regardless, you know, we, we, you know, we're always told trades are hard, but uh, David Poyle seems to uh, seems to be able to do them uh, on a on a relatively frequent basis, you know, compared to the rest of the league. So we are gonna we're gonna jump into our I, I guess we can call it our second favorite section because our favorite section is coming up after. So this is a positivity corner. So tonight's tonight's loss wasn't too brutal so it's not like you know it's going to be too hard to reach for some positivity um mike what do you have uh either something with the red wing or red wings something outside of of the red wings or outside of hockey what do you have tonight to be positive about uh i'm happy that it's a long season and and that that's twofold because a it means that all the crap that i've got going on right now can't last as long as the season will or at least i hope it won't (laughs) And uh, it also means that, you know, there's a, there's a lot more excitement to come with the wings. And, and maybe that's just individual game excitement going down the line. Or maybe that's, you know, something larger, like looking at um, uh, prospects coming up for, for possibly a top pick or maybe even a bubble playoff appearance. Who knows? Um, but it, it's a long season, and, and that's got me optimistic at the moment. Sure. Sounds good. Uh, Gigi, what you got? I want to take a minute to appreciate uh, Nick Jensen. I think that he's been playing really well this season. Uh, I really like how uh, calm and in control he's been, how he, like, I've seen him get challenged by some really good forwards in this league and come away with the puck against them. Um, he's escaped well. He hasn't been making too many, too many big mistakes. He's even got five assists on the season. Um, Really, uh, really pleased with him so far. Sure, yeah, I I, I would definitely agree on that. <clears throat> for me, I'm gonna I'm gonna be greedy. I'm gonna do a twofer because one one is about the Red Wings and one is not. Uh, so the Red Wings one is I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of go on a limb here and say that um, I have been positive about a player that's been maligned uh, very often in the Red Wings fan base and by by myself on, on, on many occasions. And I'm going to be positive about Jonathan Erickson because, you know, he's not a world beater defenseman. Um, but the last few games I've been able to see, he's, he's made some really good plays. He's made some, some kind of quiet plays that, you know, you might not notice. And I was doing a little research before we started and I was looking up the, um, you know, our defensive pairings, uh, Corsi rates, you know, so you got Corsi 460 and then, you know, against Corsi against 60. Um, and Erickson and Daly are the the leading pair in the, uh, you know, for the Red Wings in terms of uh, 
Corsi for uh, they have 52.5. Their Corsi against is 48. You know, so they're a, a plus four, plus four and a half in 160 uh, minutes. And then also, interestingly enough, Jonathan Erickson and Nick Jensen. They're actually even better if you're looking at the difference, even though they've only played 32 minutes together. But their their difference there is something at like a plus 16 percent. Um, you know, so Erickson, you know. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. I'm not saying he's the greatest defenseman ever. I'm not saying he should be, you know, our number one defenseman. But he's, uh, you know, he, he's done some really good things this year. And I think it kind of goes under the radar because we're so used to the bad stuff that we we remember the bad stuff and we kind of forget about the good stuff. Like we kind of ignore it and and don't don't pay attention. Uh, but the the other thing I have to be positive about is I think since the last time I've been on, it's been a while. Um, my wife and I adopted a dog and she is awesome and definitely a lot of fun and we're really glad to have her. Um, so, you know, even if it's a, a bad game, you know, having the dog lay on you and just, you know, kind of cuddle up with you and, you know, look at you is, is just, uh, you know, you know, just, just definitely a nice feeling. Um, so, so that's, that's, that's what I got. Um, all right, so it's time to uh, for your favorite section and mine. It's reader questions, and I get to pass the torch for host over to JJ to lead us through our reader questions. All right, all right. And, yes, I, uh, I agree. Jonathan Erickson has been surprisingly pleasant so far this year. Um, yeah. Unfairly maligned, and your dog is very cute. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, well, welcome to the Adoptive Pet Parent Club here. Yay. Yay. Okay, group squad starts us off. Who wins in a straight line race? AA, Larkin, or Helm? Athens, see you. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's AA. Yeah. I think if you, if you include the turns, then Larkin, Larkin has them on a full lap. Um, yeah, I think Helm is like way way behind now. Like we were talking about how he was possibly the fastest skater in the league a few years ago, and he yeah. has lost a step. Mm. Beer league arbitration gets us uh, next with uh, which wings players would you say are particularly good or poor with regards to shot selection? Ooh, <coughs> oh, damn! I had this I had this queued up and ready to go last time. Um, because if you want, you can just look at expected goals uh, for percentage or expected goals for because, you know, that, that takes into account the quality of their shot. And I think when I looked at it for last time, I think Athanasiu was the top on the team by a pretty substantial margin. So I'm going to go with him. Yeah, I think Athanasiu and Manta are both good at selecting their shots and also good at hitting their shots. And that's kind of the, um, the un- unfortunate portion of, of the eye test on this question is that, you know, if if you make your shots, then you look like a genius for taking it. And if you don't, then you look like an idiot. So um, I think that, yeah. uh, that Nyquist tends to delay too much in his shots nowadays. Um, in terms of the defensemen, I think that they're pretty much – uh, Mike Green's got pretty good uh, shot selection, but like Woulet is getting better at, at getting him through. Um, Erickson has yeah. has improved greatly over the last several years, but he's I still wouldn't call him good at it. So, 
Yeah. What's actually crazy is, yeah, yeah. I, I looked it up while you were talking, and Athens CU is still number one at uh, individual expected goals for per 60, you know, you know uh, taking into account the minutes played. And then you have Nyquist. And then, interestingly enough, Abdulkader is third, which is not something I would have expected. <coughs> How badly is he underperforming his expected goals for? Are they still basing it on... Datsuk being on his line. (laughs) (laughs) No. um, Oh, jeez. If you keep talking, I can figure it out. Because Applicator is is really a good case of the concept of if you're making your shots, then your selection is genius, and if you're not making your shots, then not. Because I don't feel that Applicator has bad shot selection, but he gets really good chances that he screws up, and that pisses me off. So, um, yeah. If I, you know, if you had to ask me if 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 it had to be yes or no, is Ablocator good at at selecting his shots? I'd I'd say no because he just shouldn't ever select any of them apparently. But that, yeah, yeah I feel like there. he was always more a case of being foxy by proxy, just because Datsuk was so good and he pulled the piano for Datsuk and Datsuk made it happen with with wherever he was going to be. So. I don't think I'd put Abdelkader in that category of a good shot selection player. Yeah, but I wouldn't necessarily call him bad at either. Kind of like Helm. Like I don't think Helm is bad at at selecting his shots. I just think he's bad at finishing them. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean Abdelkader is underperforming, uh, but the, I, I I couldn't find a like an individual stat. It's just you know goals for when he's on the ice is six point eight seven, and goals. For or expected goals is 8.3, so he's like about a one and a half goals under uh, the expectation. But but again, like that's that's you know his line you know, when he's on the ice. It's not just necessarily him. Yeah. But just to be totally unfair, we should blame him entirely for it. Advocator oh, is. Well, I mean, a, really I mean, 100. percent Yeah. No. I, I thought that was just <laughs> obvious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay, uh, Greedy Raven starts off, Fun Police, would Datsuk still be Datsuk in this league? I feel like his stick lifts would be slashing penalties and his face-offs would suffer like Zetterbergs. Is it too hard to play defensively now? Does that favor the current Red Wings roster since they can't play defensively anyway? (laughs) I I, I think he still would be. I don't think think it would impact as much as the the question seems seems to indicate. Yeah, Datsuk would still be Datsuk. I mean, he was, not was, obviously still is, but just, you know, in a different league now. Um, he is one of the premier defensive-minded forwards to have played in the modern era. And I don't think it's the rules that have gotten to everybody else. I just think it's that Datsuk was so good at being everywhere on the ice, forward, defense, where, wherever the puck was going to be. I think that was just, he, he was, he, he was built to do that. That, that was his sole purpose in life. And they, they maybe broke the mold with him. So yes, he would still be Datsuk in today's league. Um, and I think it's not too hard to play defensively now. I think it's just that there are fewer players of his caliber on the ice. There's been a 
I, I guess, talent shift, because I don't really want to call it a cultural shift, but there's been a talent shift where the game has gotten younger and faster instead of smarter. And Datsu played an incredibly smart, positional, stick-handling defensive game while still being a forward. So it's not really that it's harder to play defensively. It's just that the game is naturally a roller coaster where certain things are going to peak at certain times and, and when other one thing's peaking and other things valleying. Um, and right now that peak is on offense and skill-driven offense and speed. And eventually it'll come back around to where, you know, people learn how to, players learn how to, how to combat um, the McDavid types and, and, everybody who's making just, you know, crazy moves through traffic to score, people are going to learn how to adapt to that and take away that space. Um, and, and we'll see the defensive side of the game peak again at that time. So, uh, and no, it doesn't favor the current Red Wings roster because nothing favors the current Red Wings roster. So, <laughs> That's my dissertation on the topic. <laughs> Peter, do you have anything you want to add to that? Oh, um, no, I mean, I think I, I think you also have to take uh, – uh, oh, shit, hold on, sorry. Um, uh, sorry, there was an autoplay ad on something. Um, I think – Porn. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, like I said before, I think I think Datsuk would, would definitely be able to adjust to the changes, you know, the rule changes, uh, things like that. But then also, I mean, if, you know, if, if they're calling slashing more often, I mean, that's, that's only going to benefit him, you know, cause he has the puck, you know, he's going to, he's going to draw, you know, if, if he was around, he, he draw a lot more penalties, um, you know, and, and I think even if he was taking more penalties, which again, I, I don't really, I don't really buy, but even if that was true, I think he would be able to, um, you know, counter that by, uh, you know, getting some, uh, you, you know, you know, finding finding some extra uh, power plays for the Red Wings. Yeah. Plus, I think, notwithstanding that the refs have kind of backed off on the the chintzy slashing calls anyway. Um, yeah. That's who had the sulky reputation, which let him actually get away with more uh, hooks and slashes than normal players got away with anyway. So I don't think that they that there would have been too many more calls on him. Um, just because when you've been in the league that long and you've already won a selkie, you, the, those guys get away. Like you see the shit that Taves get away gets away with that uh, that Larkin doesn't. It's just the way the refs operate. So sure, uh, yeah. Hornecker asked about Larkin, and I'm gonna go ahead and update Hornecker's numbers. Hornecker uh, Larkin has 13 assists and two goals in now 18 games. Uh, can we expect that he is going to keep putting up numbers like this, or will his goals scored finally catch up? And be at least around one third of his total points, uh, similar to Zetterberg's. I, I don't really care as long as the team's scoring. Yeah, if he can keep feeding Manta like he's been doing, I mean, Manta what leads the team right now with eight goals, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, eight goals through sixteen games puts Manta on pace for forty-one goals this year, playing with Larkin. If they can have that kind of chemistry, who the fuck cares who's putting it in that? 
Yeah, I think that uh, that it it will catch up. Um, just things will, will balance out. But yeah, I, I don't care if it doesn't, as long as as long as the pace stays up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, oh God! Oh no! I forgot about that. Elmer Fudd's favorite favorite gangsters Woods <laughs> ask us uh, the quips. Tavares, what can be done to be in a position to be attractive? Uh, Tavares Derby discuss possibilities. Like nothing, right? Nothing. Next question. <laughs> Teleport Detroit to Florida. He's, he's not coming here. He's not coming yeah. here. Yeah. All right. I would love to have him here, but it's not going to happen. Mind so control chip. One. That's what that's what we would have to do. We would have to give Tavares a mind control chip. Do you think he's he's leaving Long Island? Uh, I do. I, I've I've thought that for the last year, just because it's it, it's still a train wreck. I mean, it's just it, it's not as it's not as bad as it was. You know, the the reasons that caused me to just finally give up on. On, on the organization, just like the chronic mismanagement. Like, it's gotten better since then, but, like, the team is still doing really dumb things. Uh, I mean, like, you know, they, they got Everly this year, which I think, you know, was, was definitely a good trade for them. But, you know, if, if you look at, you know, the way that Doug Waite is using the line combinations, like, if I'm Tavares, I'm just getting pissed. Um, and... I mean, like the biggest problem is like their their arena situation is still up in the air. It's still not, you know, settled. Um, you know, like I don't think they could stay where they are long term. But there doesn't really seem to be a good option uh, for them. And I'm, and, you know, I mean, if if I'm Tavares, I don't want to give up my prime years in a place like that. You know, I mean, you know, I don't know. I think that's just me. Um, I mean, you know. Some of my friends are, you know, a lot of my friends are Islanders fans. My family's Islanders fans, and I, for them, I would like to see him stay, but I, I just don't see it happening. I don't know. It didn't they get so, kicked out of the Center? Uh, I mean, Toronto kind of Toronto would make sense, but the problem is going to be with their cap situation, with their young players, if they can fit him in with the dumb contracts that they signed. You know, I think that's going to be the big problem. Yeah, because the Marlowe contract is three years, isn't it? Yeah, like like I remember at the time I was like, I understand if you maybe have to give him an extra year, but the extra like the the, the second extra year just didn't really make a lot of sense. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, Toronto makes the most sense if you don't look at the cap, but you have to. Yeah, you definitely have to look at the cap. I don't know. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, we'll see. Maybe Ottawa will sign him. Oh God! Yeah, who cares? Okay, <laughs> so what's uh, second second question? Uh, let's see. I'm going to paraphrase this because it's basically the power play sucks and it it hurts. Uh, is a new GM and new coaching staff the best solution? Babcock had the second best power play in the NHL prior to leaving, and Blashill had Datsuk on the same team his first year. We need a better system. So huh. should we replace the coach and GM just for the power play, I guess, is is the question. No, I mean, we should replace the GM for different reasons. So that's a mute, that's a moot point. And a yeah. new GM would probably bring in a new coach. That's usually how it works. So I don't think it really has anything to do with the power play. Um, 
I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we we've got bigger problems to fix than two to four minutes every game. I mean, I, I, it's better yeah. than last year. It's it's definitely a lot better. Like they they made a lot of improvements from last year, and par, you know, partially it could be the personnel. Uh, you know, having Furk back there as 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 that weapon. Um, you know, I, I think that definitely adds to it. I think we're 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 gaining the zone better better than we did last year. Um, there's a lot less of the annoying. Let's drop pass to Cronwell, the you know the slowest player on the team. Uh, you know, like we're gaining zone a lot better. It seems like we're getting set up a lot better. Um, they're 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 moving the puck quicker. So I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's reinventing the wheel. I think it's just getting into the zone, moving the puck around quicker, and 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 they're doing that. Um, so you know, I think it's definitely already an improvement from last year. Yeah, and half of that is going to be utilizing different people than they were using last year. Because, like you said, Cromwell with the drop pass last year was a unmitigated disaster. Um, and it seems like they're using different people. I know I know um, Larkins had some carry-ins and, and drop pass situations on the power play this year. Um, so using different people for roles that they're better suited for on the power play uh, is definitely going to help. Now, I don't know why it took them so long to do that, why they couldn't have tried that last year. Maybe they had a mandate from Blashill that, you know, certain people had to earn certain roles and, okay, whatever, do what you got to do. But everybody's learning the system a little bit better. There's better people in place at key positions within the current system this season. So if you want to look at firing people just for special teams play, uh, see the laundry list of issues with, you know, regular play first before we go firing somebody just over that. Yep. And then the third question, uh, got three wrecks, so I feel like we can't just skip over it. GM 2018, (laughs) Iserman, new arena, new GM. Can we get Iserman back? No, nope. no. Like I, nope. I, I, I'm really glad somebody finally asked this question. Because <laughs> we don't get asked every after, podcast. After that one entire podcast where we had the the question off, um, and I'm sorry for <laughs> we're we're being really really glib, but yeah, this literally does get asked every time. Um, I we've we've talked about it to death. I, Iserman is. I don't know why he would leave to come back to Detroit, other than. Then yeah, he he loves the town, I guess. But I don't know. The guy who welcomed him into his home is has passed on. I I think it's a pipe dream. I would I would love I would love for yeah. it to happen. But man, yeah, well, not just, just not just that collectively, JJ, but he's been it. yeah he's been welcomed into a whole new home now and welcomed fairly well and and done good things down there. So I mean. Yeah, I mean Tampa's I, Tampa's built to be a contender for the next few years, you know, if not yeah. longer. I I'd give them at least six years from from this point on. Yeah. You know, pending cap issues and all that kind of stuff. You know, things we can't predict if it goes up or up or down. Um, and how tight they get against the cap with that. But like he is selling some kind of amazing snake oil down there, getting somebody like Victor Hedman to sign early at a discount for eight years. I mean, whatever he's doing down well, there. Uh, 
that you don't have income tax in this state snake oil yeah, is, that helps. is pretty nice. Yeah, as as Detroiters should know with the whole Indomitian Sioux thing with the lions. So that's that's definitely a point, JJ. But I mean, yeah, but he, it, he's doing really good work down there. Um, he's he's got a, a ready built contender for a while. They might even be able to get over the hump if he can, you know, figure out what the hell is going wrong in the playoffs for you know the past couple of years. I, I mean. Why would he come back at this point? New arena, big effing deal. They'll build him one if he wants a new one that, down there. New GM, why would he come somewhere to be with strangers after he's been in Tampa for, what, 10 years now? Maybe a little less? I, I mean, it's, yeah. it's I mean, not it's, like it's just... he's coming back home to family. You know? I think so if I think if Steve Eisenman had the like you know, the the super duper love for Detroit above everything else is we would have seen that when uh he didn't show up to Lidstrom's jersey retirement ceremony because he was kinda of busy running the Tampa Bay Lightning. So yeah. I, I think it's time to just get, give it up. And seriously, I'm I'm gonna put a moratorium on, on this question. I don't care how many wrecks it gets, it's just Every time it gets asked, and I, I feel we've answered it to death. Uh, yep. Sam Lau says, still crazy, it just might work. What are your wacky ideas that you think might work with the Red Wings? My recent suggestion of Erickson as a net front on the power play is an example, as is Blashill's continued line blending. I do like the Erickson net front power play thing. That was funny. Sure, yeah. Oh, Jesus. Um... Uh, See, we're kind of out of things now that we don't have the uh, the Brendan Smith should play forward thing to fall back on. Exactly, yeah. Well, you have Luke, mm. Luke Witkowski could play forward or defense. <laughs> or at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, because no, I, I mean, I, I'm like, stuck on this. I'm stuck on the it just might work part. I can think of a lot of crazy yeah. shit. But I can't think of anything that would actually work. Yeah, outside, like I, I don't know because it would still change a, a lot. Of, like I think that Erickson on the power play is is funny because that all stems from like that. I don't even remember which game it was now, but like he went to the front of the net and found himself like hanging out in the slot and almost tipped a puck into the net. And it was like a really, really nice looking play. Um, so I, oh, I would, I, I, I actually think that, uh, that Tatar should be in the, playing the net front. How about um, every time we get a delayed penalty call, you know, if we draw a penalty, instead of going to the bench, our goalie goes and, and stands in front of the other goalie to screen him. Uh, not allowed to cross, cross that ice. Oh, really? Yeah. Damn it. Yeah. <sighs> Stupid rules. Yeah. Sounds Just like something play with, uh, like play with four forwards more consistently. Just at five on five. Oh, yeah. Five, yeah. That, I mean, why not? That is... <laughs> if you had the speed on the team... You could make it work, but we don't have a fast enough team. 
Yeah, I I think that like it's not even crazy like at this Edmonton point, but I think that the Red Wings. I think the Red Wings honestly ought to um, officially make Cronwall a stay-at-home defenseman. Like, obviously, you know, take him off the power play is not a so crazy, it just might work kind of thing. It's like that's everybody thinks that, except for Jeff Blashill. But yeah, make him the make him the stay-at-home guy and and see how, because he's still decent in his own zone and at creating breakouts. It's just in the offensive zone, he's uh, and. I'm saying this less than three hours removed from a game in which he actually set up a goal with a really smart offensive zone play. Um, but don't let that fool you. Uh, Cheddar Fetter moving on has a... What? What? Go ahead. Hmm? Oh, I thought you were saying something. Uh, not me. Okay, Cheddar Fetter has a bunch of questions. Blentastic, oh, what is the weirdest combination of food you have ever blended and did it end up tasting good? I can't remember the last time I used a blender. Um, well, well, wait a minute. Does he actually mean using a blender? Or let's just say combined. Like in combination? Let's not use the blender. Okay. Um, well, JJ, I got something for you. I, I, I took some, some avocado and then some lime juice and uh, some salt. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So you ruined some lime um, juice and salt. That's yeah. whatever. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, okay, like I can't think of like a really good one, so I guess I'll just throw this out here. You know, sometimes I'll go to um, in New Jersey. We have these stores called Quick Check, which is kind of like a like a Wawa or like a like you know like a convenience store that has like sandwiches, you know, good sandwiches, and. When I get a tuna fish sandwich, I, I put cheese on it, and people look at me like I'm weird. So I don't know if that's oh, just yeah, that is weird, yeah. yeah. No, that's I, I not like weird. It. My wife does that. My wife I mean, loves cheddar cheese on a tuna melt. I mean, I, I do have to say, well, no, no, not a tuna melt. Just like a, a, a straight-up tuna sandwich on a sub. Oh. Uh. Yeah. I don't know. Right. Might be that's weird. I'm owning weird, it. Though, like... I like it. Yeah, it's not super weird. I have uh, uh, combined uh, vodka with pickle juice. Ooh. I, I, do, I do not recommend it. It, it tastes like seawater. Um, <laughs> I had to try it. Was, this was like right after I was experimenting with vodka and hot sauce, which I do recommend. Um, yeah. That was good. Huh. My wife introduced me to a, a family thing where her, her grandmother would put uh, grape jelly on grilled cheese sandwiches. Ooh, okay, and that I, is definitely uh, one. Yeah. The immediate okay. revulsion was like I, and then I was like, okay, I've got, I have to try this, and I tried it, and I have to tell you honestly that I thought it was going to be terrible, and I was entirely right. It was terrible. <laughs> <laughs> I would take uh, so. And I, and I just had to put a big line through it and a frowny face. Yeah. It's, it's I, bad. I, um, I can't think of anything I've done know. that's on par with you guys for that stuff. Maybe, like, I don't know, maybe the best I've ever done is just making bachelor chow out of my out of my parents' uh, leftovers. But 
That's, that's yeah, really just repeating leftovers like on the same plate. It's not like mixing a whole bunch of shit together. I put uh, red pepper flakes on my oatmeal every morning, so don't trust me in terms of food combinations. No, I've heard of people who do that. The uh, the second question there is, what is your go-to smoothie combination? And I don't have I, one. I'm the gonna pass on I can't I remember the last time I had a smoothie. It's it's yeah. not really a smoothie. It's more of a milkshake, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Um, strawberry Yoplait yogurt, vanilla bean ice cream, mini uh, chocolate chips, and a little bit of hot fudge. Okay. You blend it together, and it's a chocolate strawberry shake, and it is goddamn delicious. Sounds oh good. wait, yeah, I forgot. I, I I did this like I I went on a kick of this like a couple of years ago. If you make a a root beer float, except for you're not using root beer, you're using Mountain Dew, and you're not using vanilla ice cream, you're using rainbow sherbet. That's uh, actually really good. It's, it's sweet as hell, but mm-hmm. it's it's okay. not it's good. Have, have you ever had a beer float though? No. No. Uh, beer floats are delicious. I actually made one at, at the Joe one time. I went to the um, craft beer selection, and I got Bell's Kalamazoo Stout. And then I went to the Dippin' Dot station, and I got um, uh, chocolate Dippin' Dots. Ice cream of the future? Dots. Oh, yeah. I put the chocolate Dippin' Dots in the Kalamazoo Stout, like, you know, a spoonful at a time, and made myself a beer float, and it was amazing. That does sound good. Huh. You can't just do yeah, you can't just do it with any beer though. It's got to be a dark beer. Um, what, what else? Would, oh, the uh, Atwater Vanilla Java Porter would work really well with some vanilla ice cream. Yeah, so. I can see that. Okay. So, uh, okay, next fantastic. up, what combination of Red Wings player names blended together makes the best possible combination? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with Ferk Nielsen and Athanasiu, the Ferk and A. Yeah, I had I had Birkin A on, on the top of my list too, but I was using Christopher N and Athanasiu. Oh yeah, hmm. that'd be a good one too. I've been I've uh, been just putting. Yeah, I, I don't know. Go ahead. No, I, just I've going been straight here trying to. I really like Abdel. I I really like Abdel Kaiser. <laughs> That's a good one. Yeah. Blows both together. And then if you get to uh, number 39 and number 43 together, you get Manhelm Steamroller. Yeah. <laughs> and then I didn't realize that you could get you could get this until they until Blashill actually paired the two together, and you got Green Daily, and the pairing was not exactly Dookie. Oh, God. Oh, boy. If you put, uh, uh, if, if you put um, uh, Ant-Man... With uh, Athanasiu and Applicator, you should get the banana line. <laughs> do, 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 wah, wah, do, do, that's bad. Banana. No. Um, yeah, I've been trying to think of like the first half of you know blank a CU, and I think the best I've come up with so far is like Abdukasiu. Um, and I, I haven't come up, like, like like there's a perfect one out there, and if I had. If I had another five minutes, I could probably come up with it, but I don't want to spend another five minutes thinking about it. Well, you could do, um, I guess it could be like the, the Big Bad Wolf pairing, uh, uh, the Zetter I see you with. Hey, there you go. That's a stretch, though. 
Yeah. All right. Uh, and the final of the Cheddar Fetter questions. What's worth death, worse, death by blender or death by watching Blashill's blender? I mean, like... And I think the, they're the both real life blend, like Literal, like, being chopped to bits by a blender would hurt so much. Yeah. I feel like I've been bored yeah. to death a dozen times in my life, so whatever. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Every time I, every time we have a, a an in-service for teaching... I feel like I'm about to die, so I, I think I would definitely go with the 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 actual blender would be by far worse. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, Sugar Mouse asked the Eicherman GM question, nope. so we're gonna jump right over that. Uh, Needham J, for the love of Uncle Todd, where is Tyler? I know everybody and their cousin is asking about this, but rightfully so. Is it? Is it going to take an injury to see Lilbert make it up to the wings, or do you think they'd be willing to bring him up while still keeping Booth, Booth and Witkowski on the shelf? I know that would be uncharacteristic of Holland to bring him up without an injury, but this guy has Witkowski's grit times 10 plus talent. The kid deserves it. Thoughts, Peter? Um, I would much rather have him up than either of them, but I mean, he, he's only been, he's been back for what, like a week. You know, Grand Rapids. So, and I think realistically, like, you'd have to, you know, see him play for a little bit longer to even have that be a possibility. But I don't know. I think I think it's going to take an injury for him to come up. I, I don't think that's correct, but that's that's what I'm thinking. I don't know. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah, I think that Mike, combined with his... I think it's going to be that in his contract status. I mean, because he's waiver exempt, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's going to take an injury. They're not going to call him up just to be the uh, bench forward. It's it's going to take an injury. They're going to want to slot him in somewhere, and that's that's just what's going to need to happen. Deal with it. Yes, you are. You are both right, and Needham J is also right in that it's not exactly the best call. That, uh, but it's just the way it's going to be. Swearing on a stock of hockey pucks says, "Imagine that it's next spring, and the Kidline kids are all meeting or exceeding expectations, but our D is Ooh. still a hot mess. So, not hard to imagine here. Let's okay. say an opportunity presents itself to trade one of those three kids. I'm assuming Larkin, Mantha, Athanasiu." For a defenseman of comparable age, skill, upside, and proven NHL track record, do you do the deal and finally plug the hole on defense, or do you hold on to the homegrown assets and trust that the answer on D is somewhere in the pipeline? Uh, I think the problem is the history of in the league in recent, like the recent past, of being able to make a trade like that. You know, trading away a forward and getting back a defenseman that is going to be good enough to make it worthwhile to lose the forward. I think for me that would be the problem. I mean, I yeah. think if 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 we could get like a real deal top pairing defenseman who's young, then I think I'd I'd definitely be open to it. I mean, it's kind of hard because it's a hypothetical and like who knows, you know. I mean, even if they're they're producing, like you know, like you know, there's still a lot of kind of caveats to that. 
But I think the the problem I think is going to be finding a deal that makes sense. So like I don't I don't think it's it's going to be out there. Yeah, like I'm tro- I'm probably yeah. out of bounds with this with this comparison. Um, but like Athanasiu for Truba, something like that. Like I I think that that you do that all day every day. So it's like the Red Wings would definitely have to add value to to that deal. Yeah, but. Like the hypothetical thought there, and that's the problem is that the the Oilers screwed that all up because I'm not sure I'd trade any of those three kids for Adam Larson right now, and no. uh, neither of those three kids right now is is as worth as much as Taylor Hall. So yeah, the the screw up of the trading a forward a kid who can score for a defenseman who can play in the top four, um, like we're still kind of in the ripples of that. So. Uh, I guess conceptually, yes, just because top four demon are uh, worth more than than wingers. So obviously, I wouldn't be trading Larkin in this scenario. Um, yeah, but practically, no, because it's just there's not a practical way to to make it happen. Yeah, I mean, the only one of those three I would consider at this point would be Athanasiu because. You know, like you said, I mean, like Larkin definitely seems to be rounding into his own as as a maybe second second line center, but you know, I mean, you know, he he definitely has a chance to uh, to be a top line center. But I mean, I I don't trade Mantha at this point, you know, except for something ridiculous. Yeah, I'm with yeah. you there, Peter. I I think if you're going to even contemplate this trade in the first place, it's going to be happen to see you because yeah. what Mantha and and Larkin have going on is worth not breaking up. But again, JJ, I, I think you're spot on with, I don't know that that trade even exists of Athens U for insert defensive player. Yeah, like Lin- young Lin- and on a team friendly contract. Yeah. Yeah. While we're kind of on yeah. the topic, uh, Arketty asks, um, do you see Athanasiu fitting in long term as a center, or as his skill set better served on the wing? And I think that my answer to that is I, I, I think that his skill set is better served on the wing. Yeah, but I, I mean, want to I mean, like, your like, answer as well. I mean, I think the one thing the one thing that would would be better for Athanasiu playing center is. You know, because in your own zone, the the center is is playing further back towards the net defensively, and so the the byproduct of that is that if there's a break, um, you know, he could be, you know, he'd basically have more room to get up ahead of steam, and he could do, you know, you know, if there's a rush, you know, he could be, you know, busting his ass up the middle with speed. And if they can get him the puck, then he could just fly by the defenseman at the blue line, you know. So I think that's that's definitely something to consider. Um, but I don't know. I, I think probably better on the wing, but I, I do think that there are some some benefits to having him uh, at center. Yeah, I, I think you keep him on the wing. Yeah, yeah I think you just you free him to uh, to back off defenses with his speed rather than having to chase guys down low in his own zone. Yeah. Okay. Uh, he, he might be better off with fewer defensive responsibilities as it is. You know, not not to not to harp on an aspect of the game that the kid's obviously working on, but I I yeah, yeah I'd prefer to have him 
60-40 offense to defense, then 50-50. Wingnut wants us to give thoughts on on Greg Wyshynski going to ESPN. The hot take version, is he going to the major sports coverage company that delegitimized hockey for years by pretending it doesn't exist, or is he trying to light, is he bringing light to the darkness? Really good opportunity. I'd probably probably have an opinion on this if I cared, but, you know. (laughs) Fair enough. Peter? I I seem to be one of the few people that that likes Wyshynski. Um, I, I don't agree with everything he does. I don't, you know, I don't buy everything or, you know, all, all his takes or whatever, but I don't know. I've, I, I've always liked him. I like listening to him on his podcast. Um, I, I definitely will agree that he is, he, he's, he's the type of person that some people will like and some people won't, you know, so I don't, I don't think the people who dislike him, you know, I don't, I don't consider that like a bad opinion or anything like that. Um, I don't know. I, I, I personally enjoy listening to him. Um, I don't really care one way or the other where where he where he ends up. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what I got. Yeah, I think ESPN was trying to relegitimize their own hockey coverage by adding Wyshynski, which they have done. I think Wyshynski is aware of ESPN's um, reputation and is aware of what he's getting into in terms of uh, how essentially it's, it's his reputation that's, that's kind of taking uh, a hit here more than ESPN's um, because the, the hockey fans that he's been cultivating that, that know him for all these years know that ESPN has been uh, trash for all these years. So I think that he's going into it uh, realizing this and, and trying to bring light to the darkness Um I I don't know like I I'm not like rooting for or against him really like I still don't care about ESPN. Um, good hockey writing will show up where it shows up and will get credit where it's where it's going to get credit. Um, I know that uh, that Puck Daddy since Wojcicki has left is is basically is just not something I bother checking anymore. Um, but yeah, just like with with Pete, like I'm, I. I I don't hate Wyshynski. I actually I do like Wyshynski. I don't think that he's he, he's fantastic. I don't think that he's always right, but he's a he's a good hockey writer. He's he cares about the sport. He as long as it's not the folks above him at ESPN screwing things up, I think that he'll do the same job that he's always been doing. So it is what it is. It's you know his next step before he goes to the Athletic, I guess. <laughs> ENSRW says what would be your realistic blockbuster trade for the Red Wings if you were named the new GM are you going for the rebuild or trying to make a serious run in the playoffs uh, I don't really have a definitely yeah I mean I, I think answering the last question first it's definitely the rebuild not trying to make a serious run in the playoffs because that would be very short-sighted, and it would set a, it would really hurt us down the road. Um, yep. I think honestly, like I, I have kind of a simple answer is that I would try to do business with either George McPhee, uh, Peter Chiarelli, or Mark Bergevin. Um, although with Bergevin, it depends. He's like two-faced. 
You know, it depends on what day you catch him on. You know, because he he makes some shrewd moves, but then he'll do something really ridiculously dumb. So I think I definitely definitely uh, try to hit up uh, Chiarelli on a bad day, and uh, and maybe try to try to get Clefbaum out of there for uh, I don't know the uh, the the old 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 hockey jersey of Riley Sheehan. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, the problem with trading with Bergevin is the only players he would want would be either uh, Willett or Manta. Yeah, that's true. I'll send him Willett. <laughs> oh, I yes. Mine would mine wouldn't even be a crazy blockbuster. I'd just wait until right before the deadline when there's you know some two or three seed who has a key injury either on the blue line or in goal and package up uh, Mike Green and Peter Mrazek and ship them out for as much as they feel comfortable giving and hopefully a little bit more than that. Yeah, like basically my blockbuster trade is is, uh, maybe giving up what value you could get for Mike Green to also move another bad contract, but that's not really a blockbuster. That's and that can be done in, in a couple of trades. So yeah, in regard to try the rebuild, and there aren't really blockbuster trades to be made for a rebuilding team. They're just sell-offs. Um, I mean, at some point, you'd consider you know the. Do you sell Zetterberg? But Zetterberg has specifically said he doesn't want to be sold, and I, I think that at this point there's no there's no need to do that. So it is what it is. And our very last question is a really good question by Al the Octopus. NHL Shop is selling a Red Wings jersey with number ninety Weiss on the back. Original price was twenty seven ninety nine. Currently marked down to eight ninety nine. How low does the price have to go before you are a buyer of a number ninety Stephen Weiss Red Wings jersey? Uh, I mean, they, they'd have to pay me, I think. I'd have to be yeah. in the store somewhere where that shirt was hanging up, and I would have to be robbed from my wallet and stabbed, and pull out an emergency dollar bill out of my sock. And even then, I might not buy that shirt to stop the bleeding. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like maybe if I'm if I'm ordering other stuff from NHL.com and they're like, "Hey, we'll throw in the the free number ninety Weiss and not add anything extra to your shipping," <laughs> yeah. or maybe even like hey, the shipping the shipping's already free and you can get the Weiss jersey for a buck. I'd be like or the the jersey. I'm like, yeah. yeah, I might do that. And then just like, I don't know, just wear it to mow the lawn, I guess. Yeah. yeah. It'd be like, uh, free shipping free shipping on orders over $100. You have $99.50. Stephen Weiss jersey, 50 cents. Yep. Like, okay, I'd do it. Yeah. Yeah, and then you tear your groin mowing the lawn. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, oh, I don't boy. know. No, it's a sports hernia. <laughs> sports hernia while yeah. mowing the lawn. Cool. It's it's so weird because I don't like hate Stephen Wise, but yeah, the thought of wearing his jersey would be is is like insulting to me as a fan. <laughs> yeah. So thank you. That was a good question. So thank you for for that, Ali Octopus, for for challenging us mentally on that. 
And that is the the end of the the questions. We've got uh, just a little over five minutes left on on this feed, so we've got the the look ahead to go ahead. I'll pass it back to Pete. Sure. Yeah. So let's see. You know, so we just played Columbus. Uh, taking a look at let's say let's say the next two weeks, we have wow five home games and one away match, uh, one away game. So we got um, next week we have home against Calgary. We got home against Buffalo. The week after, we have home against Colorado, home against Edmonton. Then we have our away against the Rangers and home against the Devils. So that's six games. So, Mike, what are your predictions for those six games? Uh, I'm going to play it safe and stick with their current record. I I think they go about 500 over that. So three um, and three? Yeah, maybe, maybe they catch, like... Two, two, and two. Okay. Uh, which I JJ? guess still be five hundred. Yeah. I'm going to go bold and predict we pull eight points out of that stretch, eight out of twelve possible points. Uh, but I'm not going to guess how. Huh. Um. And I will, for once, be the pessimist, and I will go with out of those. Six games, I'm going to say we get five points. Out. So, yeah. It gives me no pleasure to say that, but um, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, like, my experience has been, you know, if it seems like something should be a certain way, then it it, it will end up being the opposite way. And you'd think that the Red Wings would – play well this next stretch because you know it's uh you know coming up uh i think you know uh, you know their their long home stand is going to be a pretty big part of uh you know their playoff positioning and uh i don't know i mean i said in the beginning of the year i don't think the team makes the playoffs and i think this is going to be uh, a big step in that direction unfortunately um all right so um so thanks a lot for listening um, this has been another episode of Winging It in Motown Radio. So for Mike and – oh, wait, hold on. Do we have a, a last uh, last Red Wings-related thoughts from either of you? Nah, I'm pretty pooped out on thoughts now. All right. I came up with one more line blender nickname. Boy. Green and Advocator together make grabby. <laughs> nice. Well, yeah, I'm definitely not stopping that. So um, for for Mike <laughs> and for JJ, um, this is Peter saying good night. Thanks for listening and have a great day. Wing it.